0: It's Tankbinder Worldwide for the week of November 16th, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. We leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This is one of those good old days stories. Remember in the olden days, or should I say once upon a time, we had word processors, we had spreadsheets, with database programs, you might be used WordPerfect for your word processing and maybe Lotus123 for your spreadsheet, possibly dBase for your database applications. Users could select what they consider to be the best of breed for any of the applications, but then along came suites. And when you bought a word processor, you got a spreadsheet program and maybe you got a database program. Perhaps you got a presentation program, too. In this environment, Microsoft gained dominance, even though WordPerfect and Lotus managed to maintain a small market share. Now there's a new player, the latest version of OpenOffice. This might modify the equation just a bit. OpenOffice doesn't have the advanced features of Office 2007 or WordPerfect Office Suite X4, or even the features of previous versions of those programs. But it does have one large advantage, particularly in tough economic times. It's free. OpenOffice is the free version of Sun's StarOffice. And OpenOffice may be all you need. If all you need is basic word processing, basic spreadsheet, basic presentation functionality. I didn't mention database management there. That's because the OpenOffice database function is still severely lacking. If you need a robust data management system, you're going to need either Access, which is part of the Microsoft Office suite, or Paradox, which comes with the professional version of Corel's WordPerfect Office suite, or the free open-source MySQL with a free open-source front-end. Don't try to perform serious data management functions with OpenOffice base. You'll simply get frustrated. But the rest of the applications are really pretty good. OpenOffice 3 does cover the basics. Writer, Calc, and Impress are the word processor, spreadsheet, and presentation program parts of the suite. Base, Draw, and Math are definitely the weaker parts of the suite. They do provide limited database management, limited vector-based drawing capability, and the ability to create mathematical formulae. In brief, Writer looks a lot like Microsoft Word 2003. Uh, but it offers one of Word 2007's important new features, the ability to save a document directly in PDF format. Writer can also read and write Word 2007 files, as well as files in other word processor formats. In fact, it's not uncommon to find a document that Word cannot open, claiming serious document corruption, only to be able to take that document to OpenOffice Writer, open it, then save it in Word format, and take it back to Microsoft Word. That, I think, is a good enough reason to have OpenOffice Writer on your machine, even if your primary word processor is Word. And then there's Calc, the spreadsheet program. It can read and write Microsoft Excel documents, either the old-style formats or the new ones, the new format from Office 2007. If you take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, you'll see an example of a very simple spreadsheet. It simply has a column of decibel numbers, and then the columns to the right show the equivalent binary number, hex number, and octal number. Then it shows what character would print with that character value. It's a handy sheet that I keep around so that I can find some of those high bit characters when I need them but it's a pretty good example of a very basic spreadsheet. But then when I tried to open a database file, OpenOffice crashed. The crash took down not only Base, but also Writer. Fortunately, OpenOffice offered to recover both files when I opened the program again. I then tried to start Base several times, but the application never opened. So I took a look in the task manager. There I noticed about a dozen OpenOffice processes running, so I guess I tried starting it more than a couple of times after I killed each of the processes I was able to open a new base session not a real good start this is something that I never saw happen with open Office base 2 but open Office base 2 is even less powerful than open Office base 3 it's a good reason to avoid the database function base is certainly the weakest component of the suite primarily because reporting is so limited Unlike other database programs that have built-in reporting functions, BASE reports are generally mail-merge functions that employ writer. Reports are difficult to create and generally not very attractive, so this seriously limits BASE's usability. When data is trapped inside a database, the information is essentially useless. And then there's Impress. As with most other components of OpenOffice, Whether Impress will suffice depends on your needs. Those who need basic presentation tools and who don't need to create presentations that are fully compatible with PowerPoint will find Impress to be more than adequate. But if you need PowerPoint's functions, you're going to need PowerPoint. Math gives you the ability to create math functions, formulae. If you need to, say, write a math textbook or a science textbook and you need to represent formula, formulas, (laughs) should I say formulas, which would be the American English version, or should I say formulae, which is the old Latin version? I'll say formulas. So if you need to create math formulas, well, that function is built into Microsoft Word. Open Office makes it a separate module. The result is the same either way. You simply specify using specific codes what you want the formula to say. These codes are then interpreted and represented as a formula. You can then paste that into Writer. Whether the function is built in or separate makes little difference. And then there's Draw. Microsoft doesn't provide a vector art application as part of the Office Suite, so Draw is essentially an effort to recreate CorelDRAW. And in this regard, it falls far, far short of the mark Still, for basic Office graphics, draw might be sufficient. So, there's good about OpenOffice 3, and there's bad. As with most applications today, OpenOffice is capable of checking for updates and suggesting that you install them. But those crashes that I saw that take down multiple components of the suite while leaving the processes running tend to leave a sour aftertaste. Bottom line, OpenOffice 3, free works most of the time reasonably well. OpenOffice 3 represents a significant upgrade from version 2, but it fails to provide the ease of use and extensive functionality that Microsoft's Office Suite does. OpenOffice is a good solution for those who have basic needs and who don't mind dealing with the relatively frequent crashes. For more information, you can check the OpenOffice website, and there's a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide. Website, www.techbiter.com. If I stick my hand into the pants pocket that used to be where I carried pocket change, I will typically now find 6 gigabytes of data storage. Well, not anymore. Now I'll find 22 gigabytes of data storage. Does anybody not own a USB thumb drive these days? In 2001, I wrote about being introduced to what was called at the time Disc on Key at PC Expo in New York City. The drive stored an astonishing 16 megabytes of data and cost only $70. A smaller 8 megabyte drive was available for $50. The company that made disk on key is no longer in business, and PC Expo expired following the Internet commerce meltdown of 2000 and the terrorist attacks of 2001. But as far as key drives go, you can buy a 16 gigabyte drive these days for about $20. So I had been carrying six gigabytes worth of storage in my pocket every day in the form of three two-gigabyte thumb drives. But then I saw an offer on Woot.com for a name-brand 16-gigabyte drive that would cost less than $25, including shipping. Well, I had to have one. Now, to put this into perspective, a six-page letter to a friend in Russia consumes about 20 kilobytes as a Word file on my computer's hard drive. That's about 3.3 kilobytes per page. So that means my new 16-gigabyte thumb drive could hold nearly 5 million pages of text. So the next time I decide to write my friend in Russia a 5 million page letter, I know where to store it. Now, as one who remembers when a 40 megabyte disk drive was about two-thirds the size of a washing machine, and when 64 kilobytes of core memory fit into a compartment that was about 6 inches wide, 18 inches deep, and maybe 24 inches tall, I find the ability to store 16 gigabytes of data in a device that could easily be concealed in a sock a little short of amazing. So I did a little math. In 2001, that 8 megabyte thumb drive cost $50. So the cost per megabyte was $6.25. In 2008, for $25, I bought a 16,000 megabyte drive 16,000 megabytes is 16 gigabytes. So that makes the cost per megabyte less than two-tenths of a cent. Less than two-tenths of a cent per megabyte. That would make the price reduction between 2001 and 2008 99.975%. And on Friday of this week, Wood had another offer. They were offering Kingston Micro S D memory cards... 2 gigabytes, with an adapter, for $2.59. Shipping was $5. So shipping was more than the memory card itself. These USB devices make it possible for anyone to take large amounts of work home, but if you're in an IT security position, they probably concern you. In just a minute or two, a disgruntled worker could download the entire company's list of clients to a thumb drive. And that could easily be taken past security guards who wouldn't even Notice. Speaking of noticing, you may have noticed there was an election this year. Ah, relax, I'm keeping this non-political. You probably know that I have been a poll worker for several years. The 2008 general election was unusual by anyone's standards because so many people voted absentee or at early polling locations. Most of those who voted on election day came to the polls early in the morning, at least where I was, and I've talked to several other people who have said the same thing. Many polling places were empty during the afternoon and evening. For the first time in years, all polling places in Ohio closed at or shortly after the expected closing time. I can't tell you about all precincts, but I can tell you about the one, three-precinct location in central Ohio where I was. That's as close as I'm going to come to telling you the actual location. If you want the entire story, and it's a fairly long story... Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. covers the entire series of events from the weekend before the election until we close down the polls at 7.30 on election night. In early news, hey, even the dispatch noticed this. They had a front-page article on it on Friday. With like somebody flipped a switch and turned the spam off on Tuesday. Where I might expect to see hundreds of spams, there were four or five. Sometimes it would go for an hour or more, and I didn't see any spam. I was beginning to think nobody loved me anymore, but then I found out the truth. Several Internet providers working together shut down a San Jose hosting service called Micolo. This one operation is alleged to have been responsible for more than 60% of the spam sent from the United States. The spammers will, of course, just move elsewhere and... By today, they already have. But maybe the Internet providers will keep the pressure on. The good guys may never be able to win this war, but at least they can make life a bit more difficult for the spammers and fraudsters. Computer World magazine says an average of 190 billion spam messages were sent daily. Daily! During October. But the level dropped to 112 billion as of Tuesday morning when McCullough was cut off at the knees. Back in September, another spam operation was shut down, but spam levels bounced back within just a few weeks. If nothing else, the pause was certainly one that refreshed, and if you're wondering who it is you should be thanking, you should send a note to Washington Post reporter Brian Krebs, who gathered much of the evidence and presented it to McColo's upstream hosts. There is a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to Brian Krebs' article, and you can send him a message from there. Hey, did you remember to send Microsoft a birthday card? Windows is 25. It was November 1983 when Bill Gates announced Windows 1.0 in New York City. It would, he said, give PCs a new, easy-to-use face. It would allow PCs to run more than one application at a single time. Remember the days of DOS? If you didn't use a special utility such as QEMM, you could run just one program at a time. The first version of Windows didn't run more than one application at a time very well, though. And neither did version 2, both of which came with runtime versions so that DOS lovers, such as me, could continue running DOS and launch the Windows runtime only when needed to run a Windows application, such as PageMaker. Other graphic programs, such as Ventura Publisher, ran under the GEM operating environment. Well, what has changed in 25 years? Windows does a lot more these days. But Windows remains a lot like Bill Clinton, always late. Announced in 1983, Windows 1.0 didn't really ship until 1985. So is it really 25 years old this year, or just 23? I guess maybe that depends on your definition of operating system and vaporware. Microsoft had started working on what it called at the time the Interface Manager in 1981, but Windows faced competition in the marketplace. Apple had released the far too expensive and underpowered Lisa, which eventually led to the Macintosh. Digital's Gem interface had a sizable following, and Quarterdeck had enhanced QEMM to be a multitasking DOS-based system called DeskView. When Windows 1.0 shipped, it came with several applications. The MS-DOS command window... Calendar, Card File, Notepad, Clipboard, Terminal, Calculator, Reversi, Windows Write, and Windows Paint. When Windows 7 ships next year, if Windows 7 ships next year, it will come with a Command Window, Notepad, Clipboard, Calculator, Solitaire, Windows Write, and Windows Paint. Some things just never change. And thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of November 16, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget, check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.